As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. Tottenham absolutely fell apart yesterday, hammered 6-1 by Newcastle at St James's Park. A significant blow to their hopes of securing Champions League qualification. And on top of that, they're currently without a permanent first-team manager and a director of football. So where on earth do they begin with fixing all of those issues both on and off the pitch? And has the club really got the ambition to compete with the very best? I'm Mark Chapman. This is the Athletic Football Podcast. Now Miron straight into the thick of it. It falls to Wilson. The two substitutes combine seconds after their introduction to hit a six. Newcastle United. So joining us for this one, we have the Athletics' Adam Crafton uh, and two of our Tottenham writers, correspondent Jack Pitt-Brook, who was at St James's Park yesterday, uh, and Tim Spears, who's covered Tottenham this season as well. Um, your tweet, Jack, said, based on the first 21 minutes alone, it was the worst performance I've ever seen from Tottenham. It was the worst performance I've seen from any team at any level, I think. I don't think I've ever seen a team play that badly as Spurs did in that sort of 21-minute period in which they conceded five goals. It reminded me a little bit of um, Brazil losing the sorry the World Cup semi-final to Germany 7-1 in the sense that it felt really kind of weirdly transgressive to see a team just collapsed like that like they didn't even even in that brazil game though i think they managed to get to half time pretty stable or at least they managed maybe they managed to survive for 20 or 30 minutes whereas here tottenham just almost literally didn't show up 
I've never seen so it was so easy for Newcastle to score. Like the you know, the cliches always they they look like scoring from every attack, but Newcastle did score from every attack, and it wouldn't have felt at all surprising or weird if they'd gone on to rack up double figures. And part a small part of me disappointed they didn't do because that would have been, I thought, like a fair judgment on how awful Tottenham were. They played a back four, Tim, for the first time in fifteen months. Even I'm I'm smiling at this uh, even before I asked the even before we discussed this subject because. It, we're, we're making it sound like some kind of like quantum physics here. I mean, going from a back three to a back four really isn't that complicated if you're a professional footballer. Not complicated enough to be five down after 20 minutes. Yeah, um, I was writing a live piece. There were three of us analysing the game as it went on for a piece that goes out on the whistle. As the first goal went in, we, we started talking about the formation and how, oh, Tim, you should probably do something on how this formation is maybe not working that well. And then, and then you blink and then the fifth's gone in and you're like, yeah... Not, not, not really sure it's about the formation, to be honest. I just think, I, okay, there are a couple of issues there that Pedro Porro and Ivan Perisic are, are, are not fullbacks, but that doesn't stop them, you know, Porro just watching Joe Linton open the scoring with his with his hands behind his back or just letting a long ball drop over his head and Christian Christian Romero's head, you know, to focus on the formation just, just lets the players off the hook, really, who I, th- I thought were, were pathetic and, and an embarrassment. To the club, you know, some of these guys are paid £100,000 a week. How did they earn their £100,000 last week? What, what on earth were they doing in training to, to, to turn up and deliver that performance? You know, Stellini says the worst he's ever seen. JPB says the worst he's seen at any level. As a Wolves fan, I have seen worse. <laughs> no, no, but, no, but I haven't actually seen that in the first 20 minutes, to be fair. Was it Man City-Watford that came up yesterday? Because that, that's the record for going 5-0 up early in the game, but... That was Man City against a team that were relegated. This this is supposedly a, a Champions League battle, and Spurs just just dissolved. I think it is right to, to to really look at the players here. You know that they've sort of avoided the glare of blame in the past few months, which which sort of started with Levy around Christmas when the fans started to turn on him. Then it was like maybe Conte's the issue here. When Conte went away for a few weeks, and suddenly Stellini oversaw an improvement in results. Then Conte came back, and things got worse. So it's like okay. Maybe Conte's got to go. Conte did go. And now it's like, obviously, had Sanchez been booed off last week and, and Porro deleting his social media because he was getting so much stick. I think it's fair to say that they're falling well below the levels that they should be at as individuals. And Lloris talked about lack of pride yesterday, which is completely damning. So, you, so the owners have had it. The managers had it. The players have had it. And yet the, the guy who was banned from football has somehow come out with this with, with his reputation better than the others, which is just just shows you what a mess it is, you know, from top to bottom. Was that Lloris saying he can't hide after he was substituted at half-time? Do we know what that injury was? He had an injury. A muscle injury. Uh, do you think the players have hidden, Adam, over recent injury. weeks, months? I don't know. It's always the point we get to. Is You know, any of these sort of big clubs are in... It's just like this cycle, isn't it, where you get let's all go and blame the owner, and then let's all go and blame the head coach, and then and then the head, and then you can't blame either of those on a given day. So let's go and all shout at the players. Well, who are you blaming then? I don't know. It's not my club. Um, it's a co- <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a cocktail of dysfunction, isn't it? Between between all of them, I think yesterday was kind of all those factors conspiring at the same time in terms of poor squad planning over quite a long period of time, a really strange, bad into a managerial appointment in terms of to just give the job to the guy who was, you know, doing Conte's coaching sessions previously. I mean, it seems, I think, to most people to be a strange decision. I think that's the way the players have taken it as well. And then also, 
I, I do think the setup on the day, you know, when Tottenham have basically spent the last couple of years mostly playing with a back three, to go to probably maybe what Liverpool aside, Man City aside, maybe Arsenal the hardest away game in the Premier League. You know, and it felt to me a little bit like Stellini had almost done that in terms of gone to the back four because Spurs fans and people who cover Spurs would be saying, why won't they try a, why won't they try a back four? And then they try a back four and well, that's what happens. So I think Stellini probably did it more out of to satisfy people rather than because he really, really thought that was the best tactical idea for his players. And when you're at that stage, it's a really quite a damaging point. That wasn't saying it was all Jack's fault in terms of going to the back four, but... I didn't say they should play a back four. So I'm saying other people who cover the club have been saying, could they not try a back four rather than it always being the same yeah. way of setting up, rather than the same Conte system? I do think the players deserve blame, but I also don't think Saluni should get off the hook because yesterday they basically played like, if you asked a 14-year-old Tottenham fan, what would you like to see? And then he would have said, he or she would have said, well, let's play all, let's play lots of attacking players, let's play a back four with uh, two converted wingers at full-back, two centre-backs who can't really play in a back four. I mean, Dyer can't play in a back four. Romero, I know he did it for Argentina, but I think he needs the extra protection. So three, uh, probably four of your back four can't play in a back four. They're stranded so far too far up the pitch. There's absolutely no pressure on the ball whatsoever. You don't need to be a tactical genius to figure out that if you put the ball over the top... You're going to be in business. Like it, it was. I, I don't think. I know it's not just the tactics. I know that if you say if you say it's the tactics, people will scream. Oh, you're letting Daniel Levy off the hook. But the tactics were an absolute accident waiting to happen. As soon as the team sheet came out, I said to the people sat near me in the press box, Newcastle are going to absolutely wallop Tottenham today, because Tottenham didn't even even try and make it hard for them. And I, again, I mean, but arguably that comes back to Conte in the sense that these Spurs players have lost the capacity to think for themselves. They've lost the capacity to play on the front foot. They don't know how to do any, anything other than the kind of, I mean, you could call it a straight jacket or you could call it a comfort blanket, but they don't know how to play outside of the Conte system, clearly, because this was the one game where they stepped away from the Conte system. This was the first time they haven't played a back four since, so they have played a back four since January 2022, and it was a total, total disaster. So I find it extraordinary that we can talk about a 55, well, 55 million euro centre-back, 55 million pounds, Christian Romero, and say he can't play in a back four. I find that extraordinary for any centre-back. Well, he can't play in a back four at the moment because he's playing really badly. Like right. he's, he's playing as if the World Cup is next week. And it's someone <laughs> needs to tell him the World Cup actually happened four months ago. And it's about time he got his act together. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Your article, Jack, um, or you did a piece saying four years of bad decisions. So does that go back to November 2019? And Pochettino going and Mourinho coming in? Or where where do we start? I think I kind of let Daniel Levy off the hook there a bit. I think really, it, I mean, look, you, you can go back as long as you want. For me, it goes back to failing to back Pochettino in about 2017-18-ish, by which I mean failing to get rid of the players he wanted to get rid of and replace them with new players who actually wanted to be there. But which in turn led to 
the Pochettino era going completely stale to the point that Pochettino couldn't fix it, doing the recruitment in 2019 that they should have done in 2018 or before, then sacking Pochettino to get Mourinho, then sacking Mourinho just before the League Cup final, then bringing in Nuno, then trying to bring in Conte and hoping it would be like a better version of Mourinho, but without giving him the tools to do the job. So really it's been, and I'm sure there's some other things that I've forgotten about, Paratici, Super League, again failing to do the, the kind of proper squad refresh that they needed until it was far, far too late. So look, it's about, yeah, four or five years, give or take, of bad football decisions brings you to days like this. The Daniel Levy stuff for non-Tottenham fans, I always think is very, is very interesting because they'll go, well, hang on a minute, money... Money has been spent on players who have come in and they do have the new stadium and he has given them, you know, Mourinho and Conte who have been winners. Now, people have their own views on, on, on those two managers. But it's not as if... It's not as if they're Everton, with all due respect to Everton, who have watched their club slide completely under their ownership and they have been in the Champions League and I, this is what I'm saying from non, non-Tottenham non fans I think look at it with a slight perplexion you're right I mean there's obviously a lot of good things that have happened at Spurs you know in the last few years and that, that off-field stuff is is really important you know the, the stadium the training ground there'll be record revenues this year you know that's that's how you want your club to be run really I think there's just immense frustration that they got themselves to this to this fantastic position you know on on the cusp of sort of sort of joining English football's elite, and you know, around the time they reached the Champions League final, two thousand nineteen, and then there have just been a series of of questionable or bad decisions since then, and I guess they've regressed, and they've just they've needed someone to take them to that next level, and Levy's been unable to put the people in place to do that, and that, and then it's it's such a mess this season, you know, with 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 Conte and the, and then Paratici as well, and no trophy since 2008 and there's a lot of underlying frustration there which which Jack has, has spoken and written about um going back a, a decade or two really and um and also Mark it's been a, it's been a terrible year I mean they're fifth in the league but they're not fifth I mean they're not they're just not you know like they weren't fourth they weren't the fourth best team in the in the country you know they've been lucky that that Liverpool and Chelsea have had such sort of poor seasons and um, and Harry Kane's re- d- d- really dug them out of trouble this season. I was looking at the numbers the other day as to how many points he's earned, how many points his goals have earned them. And I know you can do this with a few players, but I do think it's really relevant with Spurs because if you took his goals out, they'd be 22 points worse off. So they'd be down on 31, which is which is below Bournemouth. And it has felt like that watching them, that Kane is literally the reason that they are where they are. So it, it, it it's, it's been a very bad year. And like I said, a lot of those underlying... Uh, issues they've had for quite a few years now have, um, have, have, have really come to the fore in the eyes of the fans this year who are paying a thousand pounds for a season ticket let's, let's, let's be honest if you go, go back to the, the Pochettino era Jack and towards the end of that and Champions League final and so on and so forth I, I can remember asking the question back then given where Chelsea were and where Arsenal were and given the hope that Tottenham had that if you were a player and wanting to move to London and a London club, Tottenham felt like the most attractive proposition, really, uh, but given the stadium and given the hope. So why didn't they capitalise on where they were at that stage? Why didn't they, why weren't they better in the transfer market, either moving players on or bringing players in? Well, I think there's two reasons. One is that they... They had a lot of resources focused on the stadium. You know, we can't forget this. They built a £1.2 billion stadium. 
and no nobody handed it to to them. This wasn't like Manchester City. It's not West Ham United. Tottenham had to build that stadium themselves with their own money, or money which you know financed from Bank of America. So that was not an easy thing to do. So they couldn't just go and spend as much as they have spent in the last four years. The other point is that I think Pochettino's vision was basically a little bit like Simeone's Atletico Madrid in the sense that you want to keep you want a, a hungry squad of ambitious players and you do that with turnover as in you do that with selling players when they're not hungry anymore and replacing them with new guys that are that was Pochettino's vision the problem was that wasn't really Daniel Levy's vision because Daniel Levy doesn't really want Tottenham to be a selling club and he's only happy to sell players if he's going to get a kind of really standout brilliant price for them for example Selling Gareth Bale to Real Madrid, he was happy to do. Selling Kyle Walker to Manchester City, he was just about happy to do. But he didn't want to be in the habit of getting good players and getting rid of them because the manager says, I think his head's gone. So that was where you first get the kind of disalignment between Pochettino and Levy. And if they'd followed the Pochettino model and started, and, you know, sold Danny Rose to Chelsea, sold Deli Alley long before anybody else realised that he was finished, sold Toby Alderweireld to Manchester United in 2018, which I'm sure Pochettino wanted to do, sold Vertonghen if they had to, sold Lucas, like, there were so many players there that they could have sold, they didn't sell, if they had sold them, they could have replaced them with, with the sort of players that Pochettino wanted, and if they'd done that, then they could have maintained the hunger, the problem is, because they didn't do that, that kind of squad turnover, that churn of players, they were left with a, a bored tired old stale squad which is what happened by the end of the Pochettino era so I think that that's really where it started to fall apart and there's the problem isn't it within modern day football Adam if the if the the chairman and the manager are with differing opinions and different philosophies and at that stage probably didn't have a sport I don't you didn't have a sporting director did they Jack but back then to sort of not a sort of parathy no, level figure no, no no and you don't have a sporting director to to sort of be the What's the word I'm looking for? The conduit between the two. Yeah, but then we're also told quite often, aren't we, that Pochettino doesn't love having a sporting director <laughs> as well. He so. likes having a sporting director as long as the sporting director is basically accountable to him. What I don't what? think he likes, what I don't think he likes quite so much is having to be accountable to a sporting director, which makes me wonder what's he going to make of Chelsea's three sporting director model? <laughs> think, Mauricio, you're walking into a. You're going to have to be accountable to three different sporting directors here. It's going to be. Cr- yeah, Either one was bad enough. I mean, there is a nightmare scenario for Spurs coming this week, isn't there? If if Chelsea do Pochettino this week, which doesn't sound impossible, the way conversations seem to be going, if they were to now announce that two p.m. on Thursday, a few hours before Tottenham play Manchester United at home on Thursday evening, I mean, how toxic if Spurs were to go a goal or two down in that game? Do you think that stadium becomes? Unlike it's ever, ever been before. A new level of toxicity. It's, it's, it, people have seen this coming from miles out. Like, I can't believe that... May, maybe, I'm just speculating here, maybe Daniel Levy will put in a phone call this week because he wants to make it look as if he has tried. But if Pochettino... I mean, Pochettino's been he's, been... he's been kind of sat at home for the last year since PSG sacked him. He's been, you know, the, Daniel Levy's had so much time to put in the phone call to Mauricio Pochettino. And he's decided not to do it. And if Pochettino, I don't, I don't think Pochettino can be. I don't think Spurs fans will be happy with Pochettino if he goes to Chelsea. But I don't think they can blame him either because they can't expect him to, to work, to not work and sit by the phone waiting for Tottenham to call forever. And so if he get, if he does end up as Chelsea manager, then Daniel Levy is going to like the the pressure and anger 
directed from the Spurs fans towards Daniel Levy will be on another level from what it is already. Uh, you've written about this, haven't you, Tim? I mean, Jack's point is right. Po- Pochettino can't sit at home twiddling his thumbs thinking, well, I won't, I won't take Chelsea because Spurs is available and at some point they might call. No, exactly. And that pressure of the situation is absolutely right. I mean, they've been they've been singing Pochettino's name in the, in the stands recently at Spurs. You know, that's how highly some of them still think of him. And it is interesting, the sort of dynamic between Spurs and Chelsea. Yeah, that, that's the article I wrote that you referenced there, Mark, in terms of them both needing a manager and both sort of shopping in the same pool of managers at the moment, potentially, um, and how they've intertwined before with Spurs taking four former Chelsea managers. Um and you know that they've long admired Graham Potter, but you can't imagine for a second that they'll go for you know a manager who's failed at Chelsea, soon as they've had ones that have won the league at Chelsea before and, and who haven't who haven't delivered for them. Um, it just I guess it feels big for both clubs, really. You know, particularly with the state of the the top six sort of situation at the moment, and you know the rise of Newcastle sort of disrupting that. You've got Villa on this on this you know trajectory under Unai Emery. Um, you've got Brighton, you've got clubs with ambitions to break into that top six. You know, if if, if Chelsea get it wrong, it, it could be sort of financially disastrous for them. But if if Spurs get it wrong, you know, they, they could be playing catch-up for a few years here. Have Spurs spoken to anybody yet? I mean, what we, we keep, we've heard all the way through on Chelsea and this is the shortlist and this is who they've spoken to and this is who they're now ruling out and this is who they weren't impressed with. They're making slow and steady progress. They've got a, a short list, which I think is more like a long list. They are they obvious. I mean, Spurs have Spurs have been saying that the process has been continuing while Paratici had this legal case hanging over him. Obviously, he's now out out of the picture. They were hoping that he would kind of be able to jump straight back into the into the cockpit to oversee the the next stages, which I'm sure will be the interview process. Um, in terms of the likelihood from here, well, I think a, there's a big question mark over does Julian Nagelsmann, is Julian Nagelsmann now more interested now that he's out of the running for Chelsea? If putting that to one side, I'd say we're really, you're looking at Luis Enrique on a slot, Vincent Company, maybe Ange Postacoglu, maybe Thomas Frank or Roberto De Zerbi, I think. I think uh, possibly Brendan Rodgers is a kind of wild card candidate, although I think there's some issues there. So I think um, I reckon those would be those will be the names under consideration. But it's right. I mean, Tottenham have, no, Tottenham have known that Conte was not going to stay since Christmas, pretty much. So they've had about a four month head start on Chelsea. And yet Chelsea, who only sat Potter, what, two weeks ago? Have been they've they have been able to move fast and fishing in precisely the same waters as Tottenham. You know, the, the, there's an almost total overlap between the Chelsea shortlist and the Tottenham shortlist, and yet Chelsea are going to end up with a manager far far quicker than Spurs. It's completely damning of the, the the lack of strategy, the lack of direction at the top of Tottenham that Chelsea are going to end up with a manager before Spurs. To be fair, uh, I mean, just to give I suppose some balance that it's better to end up with the person that's right for you than just you know let's get someone in because everyone, it's all a bit frantic. And there might also be something in, let's get a manager in once we actually know what, what where we're going to be next season. Because at the moment, Tottenham don't know if they'll be Champions League, Europa League, Conference League, only the Premier League, which might be the, which might be where they're, they might end up eighth or ninth, the way they're going at the moment. And I think there is a danger at the moment. If you were to get in an Nagelsmann who thinks he's going into the Europa League and then all of a sudden in four weeks' time, 
he's not in any European competition whatsoever, then there is this kind of expectation gap between a manager and a board and, and a club that they've had with Conte and Mourinho already. So I don't think it's the worst thing, you know, if Spurs were to actually just let the dust of this season settle. I'm not saying wait till mid-July like or June-July like it was when they got Nuno in that time. But I, I do think there is some sense in just, let's see where we are, let's see where the budgets are going to be before we start promising managers things that, we can't, that we're simply not able to live up to. Well, I mean, they, they, they won't be in the Champions League. We, we, could, we could say that now. That, you know, that's that's over. I, 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 from a football point of view, I don't think it matters where they end up now, to be honest. I mean, the season's over. Um, I don't think Europa League, Conference League, no Europe makes any difference to, to what they can do next season. I think. But do, you, do, you, do you not think it does to managers? I mean, Eric Ten Hag this season seems to, seems to care quite a lot about being in a European competition. Yeah, but Spurs aren't going to win the Europa League next season. And, 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 and we're looking at more of a long-term job here for whoever comes in and I think they'd probably benefit from not having certainly not having the Conference League next season in terms of developing a team more time on the training ground etc for all the, the the crisis talk here and this is by no means the first sort of crisis Spurs pod that's been done this season there's a lot of work to do but however Ten Hag has shown that it can be pretty simple okay he's had some money to spend but you, you talk about recruitment here first and foremost and and, and yes sort of harvesting a, a, a positive winning culture at Spurs but I know Spurs spent a lot of money last season, but but a lot of it was was bad money spent because the the head coach and the director of football and the chairman were not aligned in their vision as 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 to what team to create. And you know, Basuma came in for money and just and Conte had no interest in playing him. Jed Spence came in and Conte had no interest in playing him. They spent sixty million on Richarlison when when you've got two players who are fixed to play every single week in his positions in Kane and Son. You know, if 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 you come in with a head, with a head coach and a director of football aligned on their vision and make some smart recruitment, there's not there's not a massive amount wrong with that potentially with that Spurs team. You know, with Kane, Kulisevsky, Bentancur, Richarlison, Romero, Bissouma. You know, there's 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 a, there's a good basis there. It just needs some some common sense. Hello, I'm Ian Irving, sounding a little hoarse on Wembley Way after United have made it through to the FA Cup final. I am the host of the Athletics United podcast, Talk of the Devils, and we are bringing you our show live at Manchester's New Century Hall on Wednesday, the 17th of May. I'll be there alongside our usual cast of Andy Mitten, Carl Anker and Laurie Whitwell. We'll be sharing our unique insight and never-heard-before stories from covering United wherever they go. As well as reviewing Eric Ten Hag's first season in charge, we'll also take a trip down memory lane to mark 10 years since Sir Alex Ferguson retired. Expect sweets and questionable cocktails aplenty. To book tickets, check out our social media channels for details, or you can go to myticket.co.uk and search for Talk of the Devils Live. Tickets are £25 plus booking fee. See you there. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. 
Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Are they also looking for a, a new director of football here, Jack? So I think the word from the club is they will be... They are hoping to recruit a new managing director of football externally. Although I don't really see what the point is because they never had a managing director of football before. They invented this job so that they could give it to Paratici. Now that Paratici's gone, I don't necessarily think that they are you know, crying out for a new managing director of football because they are, you know, unless it's someone who can bring precisely the same qualities that, that Paratici can bring to the role. Um, and again, like, and, and this is actually where I think uh, this is another thing which kind of backs up what Adam just said about why now might not be a good time to recruit a manager. If you're a manager going to an interview with Daniel Levy in the next month or so, literally the first question you're going to ask, as well as like one, how much money Dan McGahan have to spend. The other is, who's my line manager? Who am I accountable to? Who's What's the football structure? Who's my, you know, do I have to go through this person to speak to the board? Who's in charge of recruitment? Who's in charge of scouting? All, and all this stuff is completely up in the air because the bloke who's been doing it for the last two years just was just forced to resign because of his legal problems. So it might be, like, logically it might make sense to say, okay, we'll get a new managing director of football, we'll set a new kind of football strategy, and then we'll get, and then we'll get the new head coach in. The problem with that is that it's the 24th of April, and if it takes them a month to get a new managing director of football, then all of a sudden the clock's going to be ticking on the return of players from pre-season, and we're back in the, in the Nuno summer of 2021. Chuck, can I ask, because I think when, when all of us talk about Tottenham, we look at them and think they need a project. You know, they need something long-term, almost like another version of Pochettino to come in. But when I look at Daniel Levy the last few years and, you know, you look at the documentary they made and putting Mourinho front and centre and putting Conte, is that still the strategy? Basically, sign big, grow profile, make sure that, you know, the States is talking about you or have they now come to a realisation that they need a, a project to get? You are absolutely right to say that the, the overall strategy of the club has pivoted in the last five years away from, you know, slow, patient build, young players towards we're a big club now. We've got the best stadium in the world. We're going to throw our weight around and act, and, 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 you know, and act like one of the big boys now. And that, that really explains everything they've done in the last four years. It's about putting Tottenham into the eyes of the world. You know, Amazon, Jose, Conte, Paratici, Super League... Beyonce at the stadium, NFL, go-karting, all the rest of it. Like, it's all about, we are a big club now. The point is, that's not how that's not how Tottenham got there. Or rather, it's not how Tottenham got to the Champions League final. They got to the Champions League final because they had, like you said, a young, a young manager with progressive ideas and hungry players. But I think that, I don't think Daniel Levy realises that that's why Tottenham were good under Pochettino. I think Daniel Levy thinks Tottenham were good were good from 2014 to 2019 because of him 
not because of Pochettino. Now, lots of the fans, I'm sure, would like to go back to that kind of Pochettino-era approach. You know, they'd like, whether that's, I don't know, Roberto De Zerbi or Ruben Amarim, or who, like a, a young manager who can inspire that kind of, that sense of a fresh start and a clean slate, which I think is a, what a lot of people want from Tottenham. But I genuinely don't know if the appetite is there at the board level for, for that, or whether at board level they'd rather think, isn't it isn't it great having a famous manager? What a buzz it is having a famous manager managing Tottenham. I know we've tried it twice. Let's give it one more go. Third time lucky. It's interesting, Adam, because Tim is Tim is right. You look at a squad of players and go, I, I know we started off by hammering them, but you go, Do you know what? They're not they're not that bad, really. When when you look at the the talent in that squad. And it, it does take, it, 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 it's impossible not to ignore the comparison with Manchester United of 12 months ago, maybe. And you talked to a lot of United fans. There was a, they, they would describe that squad at times as deeply unlikable, not trying, hands up in the air, all of this kind of stuff. And in the main, there's still that heart, there's still the same players there and they have become likable under a new manager. But that head coach, that manager, was appointed by a new CEO who probably had a, a, a different way of looking at things. So you can also take Jack's point of view that it's going to be the same people appointing this next Tottenham manager. Yeah, and to be fair, there was still a lot of Manchester United hands up in the air at different yes. points in the game yesterday. Uh, but I, I think there is... Yeah, I think you're right. that, that when, when fans are into that kind of mindset and mentality of... I just don't like anything about the, the people I'm seeing at my football club at the moment. And I think that's probably where a lot of Spurs fans, unfortunately, are at the moment, probably with the exception of Harry Kane. It's almost like I just cannot be doing with that. But then again, I heard a radio phone in last night where a supporter called in and said that Harry Kane's not, fair to wear, not fit to wear the Tottenham shirt. So maybe they've, you know, I'm sure that's that's an exception. But... I know, I know what you mean. In terms of the quality of the players, I think it is quite good. And actually, I think back, I love back to the start of the season. And when you look back at what people were predicting at the start of the season based on players that Tottenham had brought into the club on paper, and obviously Tim talks about the misalignment between the kind of the board and the manager over those targets. But when I saw they'd brought in Richarlison as kind of a high-quality backup, we'd never seen Tottenham have a high-quality backup striker. Bissouma was Brighton's best midfielder in a really good season. Looked like a really good signing. And then you had Kulisevsky and Bentoncourt came in before that and had done really well. They finished last season really well. I would never have thought at the start of this season that this is where top this is how Tottenham's season this year would be ending. It's really, it's really, really surprised me. And that's where I have a degree of sympathy with Daniel Levy because. I can't sit here and say at the start of the season I saw it coming. So, you know, there's, there's other clubs at times where, you know, you look at some of the decision making, you say, yeah, that was yeah, that, that, that was that was nailed on. Actually, this time, I just didn't see I didn't see it going this badly with Conte Spurs and and how it's all ended up. Is it even worth speculating about Harry Kane before we finish, Tim? <laughs> um. Yeah, he's the one. He's the he's the one thing we haven't really got into today. But yeah, I mean that's that's part of it. That's part of this big pivotal summer ahead. You know, he's out of contract next year. Um, 
and he'll he'll want to see that ambition. I mean, I'm not sure there's a, I'm not sure there's a massive market in for him this summer at the price that Levy will want, but still, it's definitely a factor. Um, I agree with what a lot of a lot of what Adam's saying there. You know, that there has been stability and consistency at this club, and there still will be this season. You know, in terms of league position potentially. They just need someone to sort of guide them to that next level. Um, but it does feel like a pivotal summer, not just for Kane, but you know, there's there's no there's no sort of solid big big six anymore. They could be out the Champions League for for a number of years if if they don't get this appointment right. It's um, it's going to be really important because any any new manager will ask about Kane as well, won't they? But then I suppose Kane will ask about any new manager. I mean, there are so many Jack different pieces to be slotted in here. I'm not quite sure which one goes first, really. I'm sure there'll be a temptation to go for a big name manager to keep Kane and Son happy. You know, clearly Kane has been, even though the results have gone not gone as he want, Kane was pleased that Tottenham got Mourinho. He really liked Mourinho. Kane also really liked Conte. So I think you know, Kane wants to be he wants to be a big player playing for big managers who have won a lot. Um, but I don't think that. Tottenham should think what sort of a manager would Harry Kane want us to appoint simply because Harry Kane's only got one year left in his contract after this season you know it's all very well getting a big name now but it's that's not necessarily going to stop Harry Kane from walking in the summer of 2024 so I think they would be better off going like I said earlier going not even specifically for Pochettino now but for someone who represents the qualities of Pochettino in 2014 that is ideally somebody in the first half of their career who gives them the chance of really improving over a sort of three, four, five-year view, even if that means, you know, having to take a step back to take two steps forward. But there's also simply no point of Spurs doing a kind of a win-now manager because Manchester City exists. So, like, what are Spurs going to win now? I mean, cups can be won, but they're not going to go and win the league next season, Harry Kane, into last season. So, what's the point? You know, it just it just defies all... Logic. Well, Arsenal, Arsenal are outside the top four last season and they, they might go on and win the league. Do you think they will? No, but they might. <laughs> so, that, I mean, that, you know, we're talking about Arsenal. The best season that I think they've been unbelievable, they're probably going to end the season without a trophy. But they might not. They might not. They might not. We'll see. But that's what I mean. It, it's a really, you know, like this kind of win now idea. It, it just it's just really really difficult to win now. It's it's really really difficult to win in three years to win in five years. But like the idea that someone just comes in for Harry Kane's last year and chalks up a few trophies at Spurs, it's just not going to happen. I suppose that's the one positive at the end of this podcast. If Spurs fans have put themselves through it, Tim, and that's that's the Arsenal <laughs> are unlikely to win the league. Yeah, I've, I've been speaking to a few Spurs fans in the last in the last week actually, and that uh, that has that has offered um, that has offered some form of solace. Yeah, that's a good positive to end on, isn't it? Uh, Adam, Tim, Jack, thank you very much. Subscribe to the Athletic now for one pound ninety nine a month for twelve months. Just go to theathletic.com slash football pod. Thanks for listening. The Athletic.